I think the current asset mix is suitable for the current environment. We're overweight equities. We're positioned in defensive growth equities, even though we're overweight. And then exposures like ZTIP.F and ZPR for hedging out inflation and rising rate risk. Welcome to ETF Market Insights, a podcast where some of Canada's leading investment experts guide you through the world of exchange-traded funds. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and welcome to the BMO ETF's quarterly strategy podcast. My name is Erica Toth, and I'm Director of ETF Distribution at BMO ETFs. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by my colleague, Alfred Lee, who's Director, Portfolio Manager, and Investment Strategist at BMO ETFs. Next month will mark 10 years that Alfred has been writing our quarterly ETF strategy report. It features a balanced ETF model, and it's really become an indispensable resource for advisors, portfolio managers, and investors alike. The fixed income strategy report and its corresponding pure fixed income model, Alfred's been running for five years. So our goal today is to provide you with our current views on portfolio construction across all the asset classes and really bring that quarterly strategy piece alive for you in a podcast format. So all in about 20 minutes time. As we're recording this on the 14th of April, the biggest news, of course, in the market is yesterday's 50-point hike by the Bank of Canada to its benchmark interest rate. So typically, they only tighten by a quarter of a percentage point at a time. This is the first move of a half percentage point in two decades, and it's a very aggressive step towards tackling problematic levels of inflation. Alfred, given this 50-point move, what is the Bank of Canada's outlook and what are some of the concerns that they have to balance going forward? There was definitely a massive move that they made yesterday. As you mentioned, the 50 basis point move is something we haven't seen in a long time. But when you look at the Bank of Canada, I think, you know, from my perspective, they really have a lot of balls that they're trying to juggle right now. There's so many variables at play in order for them to kind of just manage in order to, to engineer, you know, a soft landing, if you will, in terms of inflation. But just to go over, you know, the many different variables that they have to look out for, First and foremost, obviously, inflation is their main concern. The CPI reading out of Canada came in last time at 5.7%. We're going to get another CPI reading next week. But if we look at the U.S. and what's going on in the U.S. as a trend or a leading indicator, you know, in the U.S., we're seeing 8.5% CPI inflation, which was reported yesterday. Um, if we look at PPI, which is Purchasing Powers Index, that is a leading indicator, in my opinion, because it shows you know, what the producers are seeing, and eventually that's going to get passed on to uh, the end consumer. So that's already up at 15.2% in the U.S. So definitely inflation is, is still on the horizon. Um, I think another concern is, is COVID being treated as a pandemic. So that's a good, good news item, I would say. It means no more lockdowns, less economic disruptions. But I think what that means is that as the economy starts to reopen, demand is going to come back online much faster than supply. So when you look at a lot of the you know, economic indicators, whether it's, whether it's GDP or unemployment, we're already near pre-pandemic lows in, in Canada. So um, you know, much of that economic slack has been removed, which paves the way for the Bank of Canada to be aggressive, at least over the next couple of months. But on the flip side, however, what's been holding down interest rates is obviously the Russian-Ukraine conflict. It's flattened out the yield curve. We saw a lot of institutional buying in terms of government bonds, especially in the long end. 
so when you look at the curve right now, whether it's the five to tens and the 30 years, it's essentially flat between two, 2.4 to 2.5%. So I think that essentially limits how aggressive the Bank of Canada can be in terms of hiking rates. Um, you know, we already came very dangerously close to inverting the yield curve a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we saw, you know, uh, an inversion in the yield curve for a couple of days in the U.S. Um, but I think there's two concerns in, in how this potentially could play out. I think the banks could hike interest rates, but because supply chain disruptions are a very large part of the problem, um, you know, potentially higher interest rates may not address inflation. So they could choke off economic growth and not really solve for inflation, which would cause, you know, stagflation. The other scenario, however, is that if we're living with COVID, supply chains potentially unlock themselves. So inflation may improve on its own. But then as the economy is open up, opening up right now, demand is going to come back online much faster than supplies, as I mentioned. So inflation is you know, obviously going to get worse over the short run, but the Bank of Canada looking at this data may overreact and then start to overshoot in terms of interest rates. So you know, I think the real wild card here is China. I think if they maintain their zero COVID strategy, given that they're the manufacturing hub of the world, um, I think scenario one is more likely. But you know, if they move towards treating COVID as an endemic, I think scenario two is more likely. So I think the Bank of Canada, the proper move is probably, you know, some point in the summer to pause, wait for the effects of tighter monetary policy to trickle down in the economy. And I think after making a few successive moves, uh, the market is going to give them more credibility so they could use forward guidance as a way to, you know, better manage inflation going forward. Well, that's a lot to chew on, a lot to consider. Um, let's talk about the overall asset allocation in your balanced model and the implications of some of these considerations on portfolio construction. I mean, the most important decision overall um, that anybody faces in terms of portfolio construction and one that will really be the largest driver of long-term returns is your asset allocation. So the percentage allocated to equities and the percentage allocated to bonds. Um, so perhaps, Alfred, you could talk to us a little bit about your current equity allocation in, in the balance model um, and walk us through that. Sure. So the current mix that we have in the portfolio strategy report, or we call it the PSR, so that's the balance model. The current mix right now is 66% in equities, 23% in fixed income, and 11% in what we call non-traditional. So non-traditional being anything that is outside of traditional equities and bonds. So things like preferred shares, things like gold, convertible bonds would fit in that bucket. So the benchmark that we're measured against is 60% equities and 40% fixed income. They you're, are a little you know, bit pro- overweight to equities there. Exactly. So that's your prototypical balance fund, right? But you're right. We are a little bit overweight equity. I think, you know, one thing to highlight is that our equity exposure is more geared towards you know, defensive growth exposure. So things like low vol, high quality. But I think that's a proper way to structure a portfolio right now. I think if you look at the various asset mixes, can't overweight bonds because you're, you know, going to get hit with higher interest rates, can't be in cash, it's going to erode the purchasing power. Um, historically, equities have outperformed during higher periods of inflation. We actually back tested this just to verify as well. Um, but I think the current asset mix is suitable for the current environment. As I mentioned, we're overweight equities. We're positioned in defensive growth equities, even though we're overweight. And as interest rates start to rise, that should be a headwind for more cyclical and more growth-oriented stocks. And then we have tactical positions in REITs, banks, and energy. And then in bonds, we're underweight, but we do have exposure to 
you know, long duration for a black swan event, and then exposures like um, ZTIP.F and ZPR for hedging out inflation and rising rate risk. As you mentioned, you do use a, a core and satellite approach. Um, so we're using as, as the core of the, the equity side of the, the models, you're using low volatility and high quality factors, and you're able to really tilt your portfolio tactically with some of those sector positions, such as the, the banks and, and energy. So let's talk a little bit um, in more detail about the, the factor exposure on the equity side. Um, so recently, the quality factor has, has underperformed in the U.S. Uh, prior to that, it had shown several years of, of very strong outperformance. So why the underperformance now? And would you say this is something that you're concerned about going forward? Perhaps we can touch on that. You're absolutely right. I mean, quality has definitely underperformed year to date. I think you and I did a webinar earlier this year where I called quality to outperform. So you know, I'm definitely on record for saying quality is going to outperform this year. But year to date, I mean, it's, it's you know, quality's underperformed the broader market. So ZUQ, which is our high quality ETF, the US one, down 12%. ZSP, which is our S&P 500 ETF, down 7%. And ZBU, which is our value ETF, uh, surprisingly down only 5.1%. But if you look at, you know, since mid-March, since, since when the Fed started hiking interest rates, you'll notice that the more defensive-oriented factors, things like high quality have started to outperform. I think when we started the year, uh, there was this higher anticipation for um, higher rates to come. And obviously, as higher rates uh, tends to be a negative for technology stocks. When you look at ZUQ, 46% of that ETF is in um, technology. But when you look at you know interest rate sensitivity and technology stocks, it tends to be more towards you know early stage companies that carry more debt. The technology stocks that we have in ZUQ are you know names like Apple, Microsoft, Google, a lot of the cash rich companies. Visa and Mastercard also consider technology as well. But I think you know the market is starting to realize that you know, these cash-rich companies should be treated more like consumer staples. But you know, my motto in terms of quality is always, you know, quality is trading cheap. It's always a good buying opportunity. Um, it's never a, good, a bad time to own, you know, high-quality stocks uh, that have very strong balance sheets and have, um, you know, cash flows that are very um, dependable during, you know, uncertain times like what we're seeing right now. So great points there. Um, and I, I should also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the low volatility factor for the U.S. has actually been somewhat of a bright spot um, this year and, and has outperformed. So having, having both exposures uh, in the model has certainly helped. Um, on the Canadian side, having that low vol exposure over the longer term tends to provide you know, returns that are similar, if not better than the broad market with, with less risk. Um, but recently, you know, having that low volatility exposure in Canada, you're you're missing that that energy exposure because of the way that it's screened for. So you're getting this exposure by bolting on um, ZEO, the, the equal weight uh, oil and gas um, ETF. So maybe you can provide us with your current outlook um, on on the sectors uh, that you're holding in the model. Um, you know, we we just mentioned. Uh, we have some of the, the REITs ETF, the ZRE. Um, we have banks, both Canada and U.S., um, ZEB and, uh, and ZBK. And for the uh, oil and gas, uh, we, have, we, have, we are holding uh, ZEO. So perhaps, Alfred, just give us uh, a quick update on, on your outlook for, for each of those sectors at this point in time. 
Sure. I mean, I think all three of those sectors are well positioned for the current environment. Um, we added these positions more or less around you know Q4 2020 and Q1 of 2021, uh, depending on which ETF. So we've obviously been able to enjoy a lot of the sizable gains over the last year, year and a half. We still like the three sectors. I mean, when you when you look at REITs, I think you know this was a position that we added early last year, and it's been on a you know pretty spectacular run. But I think what's been weighing on the REITs more recently is you know, a lot of the uncertainty around what's going on with the office space, what's going on with the retail operators. As you and I know, you know, through work, a lot of people are talking about returning to the office. So I think that's going to be good for the office uh, operators, uh, retail, um, you know, companies like Rio can starting to see more foot traffic now in the mall. So I think that's a very good news item for the retail operator. So ZRE, I think, is a good way to get exposure to the REIT sector, but at the same time, equally weighting all the all the companies, so you're not exposed to company-specific risk. In terms of banks, we still like banks, Canadians more than uh, U.S. banks. But you know, over the last year, when you look at the banks, the sector as a whole, uh, pretty massive earnings beats um, across you know the big six Canadian banks. We think that's likely going to continue. Higher rates probably will weigh on you know the mortgage sector and the housing market. But over the long haul, uh, we think the housing market in Canada is, is pretty strong given the lack of supply. I think as the economy starts to open up, demand for loans and banking service will you know, offset uh, any potential losses in mortgages or any slowdown in the mortgage demand. Um, but just to finish up you know, with, with energy, I think you know, with oil, it's been on a pretty good run over the last you know, nine months or even last year. A lot of people believe it's due to the tensions in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that you know, a very little capital expenditure has been spent on traditional fossil fuels. All that money's been devoted towards renewables now. So supply is very tight. Even before Russia was sanctioned, we had Middle East suppliers essentially running near full capacity. So I think all this is going to be good for Canadian oil, given that oil sands were essentially shunned over the last couple of years. But I think as energy prices go up, um, that's going to be good for Canadian energy, given that we tend to be higher cost producers. And, you know, last but not least, uh, when you look at Biden, Biden recently said that he's desperate for Canadian uh, oil exports as well. So all of this, I think, is going to be good for the Canadian uh, energy space. Thanks for that, Alfred. Uh, let's shift gears now and chat a little bit about the fixed income allocations. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we have the the balanced model that you do. And then we also do a, a pure fixed income model. Um, so bonds have been, of course, a really painful spot um, for investors over the last 12 months, uh, with some even being tempted to, to abandon the asset class altogether. Um, Alfred, I know that your, your view has been that investors still do need an allocation to bonds in your portfolio. So uh, perhaps you could talk to us a bit about why. As you and I know, we often get questions that uh, where, you know, certain advisors or investors will, will say, you know, why don't we just get rid of bonds altogether? And just use dividend stocks as a replacement. And I would say the short answer is no. Long answer is also no. Um, just because, you know, late February is a good example of this, where the equity market turned over on that Russian invasion. Uh, bonds started outperforming. So that's a good you know, example of why you need bonds to help stabilize um, a portfolio, even though overweighting equities at this point makes sense. But I think what we're seeing in the market right now in terms of bonds is the natural recalibration. Um, interest rates continue to go up. Coupon rates continue to go up. At some point, investors will say, you know, at this coupon level, I'm willing to forego 
you know, the potential growth in the equities to lock in the rate in, in the bond space. I don't think we're there yet, but eventually uh, we're going to get there. But uh, in terms of bond positioning in the portfolio, I think, you know, complementing fixed income is the key thing to do right now. So having that duration exposure, but offsetting some of the risks such as rising rate risk and inflation risk with uh, ZTIP.F, which is our short-term U.S. TIPS ETF, and also things like ZPR, which is our laddered uh, preferred tier ETF. So you have been recommending those uh, for the last several quarters in a way as a way to to mitigate sort of the pain of um, of rising rates and and inflation. Of course, the preferred shares have been uh, in the portfolio for for quite a long time now. Um, can you talk to us a little bit? Uh, let, let's talk in a little bit more detail about uh, about the Z tip dot. So the U.S. Uh, short-term tips, we've had, you know, a number of, of massive uh, inflation prints, um, both south and north of the border. Um, so so the ZTIP is the allocation that, uh, that you're recommending for that. What, what sort of percentage weighting would you allocate to that? Um, and, you know, what would you be monitoring in terms of, you know, if, if the inflation prints are, are slowing down or if they're starting to come in at or below expectations, would you then be reevaluating this um, position? Could you talk to us a bit about that? In our model, um, I believe it's a 5% allocation to uh, ZTIP.F. Um, but I, I'd say, you know, around a 3 to 5% allocation in the portfolio uh, would be sufficient. Um, but just in terms of why it belongs in the portfolio, I think, you know, as, as you mentioned, we're, we're continuing to see inflation tick up higher and higher. Um, so, you know, as inflation takes higher, um, we're going to see two effects. Um, and, you know, obviously inflation goes up, but central banks are always obviously going to react by raising interest rates as well. Um, so TIPS, which is U.S. Uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, they essentially are, you know, they have a mechanism where they adjust higher due to higher CPI prints. So they're going to benefit from higher inflation. So it offsets, you know, that inflation risk in the bond portfolio. Um, but the thing that we do in the CTF is essentially uh, we focus on the short term. So as interest rates rise, that's going to affect you know, duration. So by focusing on the short term, uh, we essentially get shorter duration bonds. So you get more of a pure inflation play. But in terms of knowing when to look to dispose of a security like this, I think you know keeping an eye on CPI is a good indicator. But as I mentioned before, something like PPI, which is producer price index, I think that's a leading indicator of where inflation is is going. So when that starts to slow down, that's you know potentially a time where you may want to consider uh, trimming back on your ZTIP exposure. That's helpful uh, in terms of things to keep an eye on there. Um, so for ZPR, um, as I mentioned, this is something that we've held in in the model for for quite a long time. Um, it definitely you know helps mitigate increases in in interest rates being a rate reset uh, preferred shares. We have seen a, a little bit of weakness um, after two years of, of excellent returns um, in the CTF. So maybe you could just uh, chat a little bit about that, Alfred. We've been receiving a few questions just in terms of you know the preferred share market in general, uh, just because as you mentioned, even though interest rates are up, rate resets have been down, and that's entirely been due to credit. It's been weaker just because credit spreads on even Canadian corporate bonds have widened out uh, since Russia. Uh, but one thing to point out is that Canadian corp- corporations as a whole are very well insulated from what goes on in, in Russia and Ukraine. So I think 
lot of that spread widening has been, you know, more reactionary in nature. So I think once those once uh, those credit spreads start tightening, that's going to be beneficial for ZPR. When you look at the interest rates, so rate resets are obviously, you know, tagged to that five-year government of Canada, given that's where the dividend is, is set plus some reset spread. Since the five-year has moved more than a percent over the last month, I think eventually when that credit spread tightens, things like rate reset preferred shares are going to be well situated to to potentially benefit off of that rate rise. So any changes that you've made to the fixed income portion of the model in light of the recent developments that we've seen? So no changes to the portfolio strategy report this quarter, um, just because, you know, we, as I mentioned, you know, we, we think the portfolio is very well suited for um, the current environment. Not only are we well diversified from an asset allocation, asset allocation perspective, but it's also well diversified based on, you know, no matter what the various economic outcomes are, we have positions that will benefit, you know, based on different economic scenarios. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, we've been running this strategy for close to 10 years. We've always been taking a more slow and steady approach um, to, you know, making shifts in the portfolio. Uh, We did make a small shift in the fixed income strategy, however, moving 3% in ZEG, which is our aggregate bond ETF, uh, over to ZMU, which is our uh, U.S. investment grade hedged back to the Canadian dollar uh, ETF. So that credit overweight can also help as, uh, as interest rates rise in terms of uh, total returns for the, for the bond portfolio. That's, that's the thinking there? Exactly. And, and, you know, why we made changes to one and not the other is that, you know, the drivers to both are going to be very similar. Um, but because as the fixed income model is both a standalone and, and both a complementary portfolio for advisors that want to you know, run their own equities but use this as a fixed income model, as a standalone model, because of that rising rate risk and that inflation risk, as you mentioned, we want to overweight you know, that corporate exposure in the fixed income strategy where in the balance strategy, you already have the weight overweight to equities already. Thanks so much, Alfred, for walking us through your models. Always insightful, much appreciated. These are fantastic tools for investors um, to use when they're building their portfolios. This has been the BMO ETF's quarterly strategy podcast. You can find us every quarter on Spotify, Apple, and also on bmoetfs.ca. That's the BMO Canadian ETF dashboard. Thanks again for your time, Alfred, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you to Alfred Lee and Erica Toth for joining us. To access the latest quarterly portfolio strategy and fixed income strategy reports discussed in this podcast, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. ETF Market Insights has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.